Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Every fortnight in these podcasts we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening, plant care, garden design, pest control, growing your own fruit and vegetables and container ideas, plus expert gardening advice throughout the year. I'm Tony Dickerson, one of the RHS's team of horticultural advisors based here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this edition, RHS advisors answer your seasonal gardening questions. We continue our feature series of discussions of gardening essentials, tools that every gardener should own and techniques we should all master. And, as always, the latest news on RHS garden events across the UK. But first, let's join the experts here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey to hear what jobs they're tackling this June. My name is Matthew Pottage and I'm the Deputy Curator here at RHS Garden Wisley. So things we're busy with in the garden this time of year. One job that I often think gets overlooked is the ornamental grasses. And everyone knows when to cut them back and you know when to clean out any dead. But this time of year is really good for looking at what should be there and what shouldn't be there. Because many ornamental grasses self-seed and other weedy grasses often self-seed into the grass borders and where you've got grass displays. And now is a good time to look closely at the plants, your grasses, the clumps of them, and think, is everything the same there? Is there a rogue in there? There, what should be there, what shouldn't be there. The miscanthus are terrible at seeding all over the place here at Wisley, and now is a time of year to really go through and see exactly what you've got and it's not being invaded by other weedy grasses. And then just this time of year you need to think about regular watering but also regular feeding. Feed when you water is really good or if you've put down a granular fertiliser see there's enough moisture on the beds or going onto the beds to actually wash that in and see that that's working and keep things in good health. Now is you know active growing season so as much food and water as you need to put down depending on your soil type you know don't be backward and coming forward if you've been collecting water in rainwater butts etc. See your plants are well watered at this time. My name is Markus Rathscheid and I'm fortunate to be one of the four garden managers down here at Wisley in Surrey of the RHS flagship garden. This time of the year is probably one of your busy most periods to get your vegetable garden into the right shape. The danger of frost has disappeared at the end of May and I'm sure we all are busily getting our tomatoes and all our other crops into the garden and we are looking forward to a splendid crop of these uh, wonderful vegetables and in fact there some of them are botanically seen fruits. Now what you already can harvest in your vegetable garden now is probably yours. Lettuces. You may have started with lettuces under a cloche, under protected structures combined with your very many different radishes and other root crops that you can now get into the harvest period now. It's probably coming to the end of the rhubarb period, so get out into your garden, harvest your rhubarbs, do the last rhubarb crumbles or convert them into your jam and marmalade. And uh, this probably comes already to the end of the rhubarb period. But nothing to be said about it, because the end of June will also lead you into the beginning of your soft fruit time in your garden. So gooseberries are important now to be looked at. Make sure they are covered with bird nets so you are defending your lovely crops from the ever-hungry blackbirds and other birds in your garden. Hi there, my name is Barney Millard and I'm the horticultural educator here at Wisley. And um, as part of that job, I run workshops for horticultural groups, uh, mostly school, secondary age, and then they're also maintaining and developing a teaching garden. Um, And today we are standing in the vegetable area of a teaching garden, where we are going to run with the 
this um, summer holiday theme in the garden is Alice in Wonderland, Adventures in Wonderland, and that's what we're going to theme, the vegetable area. Um, so if you come to a vegetable garden at Wisley, you'll find now two high-up raised beds, um, one of which we're going to return into a tabletop tea party, and the other one of which is going to be a croquet games lawn. Um, so the tabletop tea party, we're going to... I'm working with a wonderful lady from Surrey Choices um, who's going to create some brilliant props for, um, for us, like a giant cut-out teapot, um, and we're going to have a Queen of Hearts. And so the tabletop tea party, we're going to have things like a checkerboard tablecloth of purple basil and white marigolds. Um, we're going to have place, um, little place settings, which will have a plate with vegetables growing through them. So we'll have a foil plate, nicely coloured, lettuce, a few radishes growing through the plate. Um, we're going to have leeks as candlesticks down the table. We also have the croquet games table. So we have a chamomile and thyme lawn, which will coat the whole table as, as the grass. Um, it'll be edible and very fragrant. And then we have purple coal rabbi, which will be the hedgehog balls. Um, we have A4 playing cards. We're going to fold over to be the, the hoops. And we're going to put little feet and um, hands on them. And then you will also see in the vegetable garden, we have a tunnel. We have a shrinking and wonderland tunnel. So at one end, it's quite big. It's a woven birch tunnel. And then at the other end, it becomes very small. And so like Alice is always shrinking and growing in this tunnel, you either have to shrink to get through it or you have to grow to get through it. So it will be ready for the start of a summer holiday. So that's sort of the mid-July time. Um, up until then, it will be growing, growing, growing and sort of getting ready. So there will be lots to see from now. Um, but from July is the time to, to see it through the summer holidays until the end of August. You can find out more information about all aspects of plants and gardening techniques on the advice pages of our award-winning RHS website, plus general gardening tips and video guides to key seasonal jobs. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. I'm Tony Dickerson and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. A question the RHS advice team is often asked, particularly by people who are just getting interested in gardening, is what equipment do I need to get started? A question quickly followed by what are the key skills I need to master to become a successful gardener? It can be tricky knowing what to buy and what jobs to do, and which are most important, especially when there are so many sources of information available. It can be confusing, particularly for beginners. Whilst there are no definitive lists, there is some agreement amongst experienced gardeners about certain skills and some tools that make gardening easier, more pleasurable and produces better results. So, over the next few months, our RHS experts are going to guide you through some of the pieces of equipment we think should be in every gardener's shed. If you like, an essential kit list for gardeners. My colleague from the RHS advice team, Jenny Bowden, joined Matt Pottage, Deputy Curator of the RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey, to continue the discussions of how to choose and how to use essential gardening equipment and to find tools best suited to your individual requirements. I'm back with Matt Pottage again today and um, we're going to talk about uh, tools for weeding, techniques for weeding, uh, which is following on from last time when we spoke about gloves and secateurs. So it's the next in the series. That's right. And it's always this time of year when it's really, really important to try and get on top of weeds before they start flowering. Uh, things like bittercress are already well established now in the garden. And if you can catch these things before they're throwing their seeds around, it's so important. Uh, I've got a few things in mind. Um, I'm going to start with, like, if you've got a big open border and you've got a bit of space, one of my preferred ways is to go around with a border fork. Choose an area that's kind of all in you know, easy reach. Loosen all the weeds. Just go around. You can do this standing up quite easily. Loosen all the weeds with a border fork. And then follow along afterwards and just grub them out easily with your hands. If 
it's say, quite an open site and there's no emerging plants there. It's quite a clear site. I love a hoe to just run through. You need a decent sharp blade. Skim the surface just to cut the weeds off at the ground level. We don't need to go cultivating the ground here and digging up soil as some people do with a hoe. Okay, so is this a, um, a Dutch hoe or are there hoes open up for another they can do. of worms excuse the pun but they do. Um, there I are mean, many yeah. different types of hoes push pull <laughs> hoe or dutch hoe i'm a fan as long as it's in sharp order and you can run that along mm -hmm. ground level and then finally if you've got lots of dense planting so you've got lots of bulbs or lots of fiddly alpine plants last resort little hand fork go around with a bucket but that is really for small scale if you find yourself creeping along in a bed on your hands and knees with a hand fork and bucket the job takes forever you kneel on everything you compact the soil so definitely the border fork but like i say if space permits and you're not going to damage any plants running around with a hoe on a sunny day or a breezy day so whatever weeds you knock off are going to desiccate straight away it is one of the most satisfying jobs so actually satisfying. you go out there and, uh, during the day and come back a bit later and they're all flopped over yeah, all think, oh, job done i don't even need to actually go and pick them up in some in sometimes no you don't um, one of my favourite hoes is actually what's called a combination hoe. It's, oh. it's, a, it's a hand tool. It can, be, it can actually be on a, uh, on a long handle if you want it to be, but it's a hoe on one side, and on the other side it's got two prongs. And uh, so, you know, two, two tools in one there. Um, but with all of these tools, you can actually get telescopic handles. Um, I think uh, Wolf Tools is one of the mates, but many perhaps other makes yeah. uh, do these as well and you just buy the uh, attachments go on, go on the end and and they've got interchangeable heads interchangeable for different heads. jobs yeah and i think if you know if you're limited for storage space or you know you don't have a massive plot i think these are such such a good idea uh, they are reliable we have some of them at wisley as well and especially the it's the Wolf push-pull hose with the double blades on, which a lot of my teams are quite a big fan of, and they work very well for us. I think really with, with hoeing, it's the idea that you're disturbing as little of the soil as possible, rather not too deeply, because then you're just pulling up the next bank of seeds. Um, so it's very much in line with uh, no-dig cultivation, which a lot of vegetable growers are great fans of. Um, this is true, so this is true. There. Yeah, and it's understanding that lack of soil disturbance and also understanding, you know, wet days, moist soil. If you've got a good still day, good growing conditions, and you hoe too deeply, you're basically lifting them up, popping them back down again, and nothing happens. And you're causing a lot of extra work for yourself. It's quite hard work hoeing when you're moving all the soil with you. So, you know, it is a case of understanding the job. And where are you going to put your weeds? You're going to put them in... Um, do do we do trugs, buckets, uh, colourful tub trugs? <laughs> well, as you, Anything you can get hold of. As you referenced before, if they're small weeds and you've got a sunny day, just leave them on the bed to frazzle. Uh, failing that, yeah, just a trug is great. Uh, my, one of my teams out gardens around the glass house, they've got bright pink trugs, another team has yellow trugs. Uh, but, you know, wh whatever takes your fancy, there's no right or wrong there. And with um, perennial weeds, if you've got some real nasties in there, hoeing... Uh, it's debatable how useful it is. I guess it's going to weaken the weeds. If, you just, if you're hoeing on a regular basis each time they appear, things like cooch grass and bindweed, is that one way of getting rid of them in the long it's term? A, no, it's not really. It's a very exhausting way. I mean, if you've got the time and you can constantly, say, hit the top of a dandelion time after time, yes, you're going to weaken it. But to be honest, the cooch grass, the bindweed, they are either you resort to herbicide 
weed killers, or you take a border fork in there and try and get the roots out. So a little bit more determination for those. Thanks, Matt. Matthew Pottage and Jenny Bowden. The series will continue next month. If you missed the first part of our feature series on essential gardening equipment, why not catch up by listening to episode 55 in our archive of RHS Gardening Podcasts on iTunes. All of our previous podcasts are here and you can listen to them at your leisure and convenience. Now the summer is getting into full swing, there are plenty of RHS events and attractions coming up that the whole family can enjoy. Join us at the RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey for All About Plants on the 20th to the 21st of June. With more than 20 plant societies and groups displaying their wares and offering advice at this Plant Lovers Weekend, you can find out about the past, present and future of plants. Celebrate Father's Day in style by competing in the Father and Child Orienteering Race at the RHS Garden Harlow Car in North Yorkshire or try seeded paper making at Wisley on the 21st of June. All four RHS gardens will be hosting tea and cake themed petal to pot events in June. At Rosemore in Devon you can learn to bake in a demonstration where audience participation will be encouraged. Come along and get involved on the 27th to the 28th of June. RHS Garden Hyde Hall in Essex will be hosting a garden party on the 27th to the 28th of June with tea, cakes and tours of the garden, all included in the normal garden admission prices. And of course, admission is free for all RHS members. Full details of all the events and more are on the RHS website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens what's on. And of course, the RHS flower shows at Hampton Court Palace, the 30th of June to the 5th of July and Tatton Park in Cheshire, 22nd of July to the 26th of July are nearly upon us. This year promises to be an extra special show at Hampton Court Palace. Here's show manager Dave Green to explain. So it's the RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show uh, and it's the 25th anniversary this year and to celebrate the anniversary we're creating a giant maze right near one of the entrances. It's going to cover 900 square metres and include uh, nearly 300 metres of hedging. So we're going to build that over the three weeks of the build period and it's going to have um, scent in, smoke, tunnels. So it's going to be a really interactive, exciting experience to celebrate the show's anniversary. Um, as well as that, we've got some other features. So we're working with a company called Vertigarden and they're building a big floral birthday cake. which will be four metres high and covered in uh, bright flowers to go right outside the floral marquee. We're also creating an anniversary turf sculpture with a, with a turf company called Rolorn and they're celebrating their 40th anniversary as well as the show's 25th anniversary. So we'll be creating a, a kind of rolling hills turf sculpture with a big silver 25 and a big ruby 40 in it as well with them. So we've got some really exciting anniversary features. So other things to watch out for is we're running our scarecrow competition with local schools from the area again this year. And there'll be 35 local schools coming to celebrate. And this year we're placing the scarecrows in the centre of the show. And we're also going to create a giant scarecrow uh, that all the small ones will be around. And that's going to be seven metres high. It's going to be a giant time-travelling scarecrow. uh, Because the theme for all the scarecrows is history and characters through time to, to tie in with the show's anniversary. The Hampton Court Flower Show is the largest flower show in the world and to make it easier to navigate around we split the show up into zones. We've got the Grow Zone on the north side of the show, the Inspire Zone in the centre and this year we're adding a new zone called Feast over uh, on the the south side of the show and uh, that's all centred around Grow Your Own and uh, uh, artisan food producers and the, the really exciting world of, of growing edibles and eating them. Uh, so we've got show gardens in there, a great taste market, a, a brilliant cookery theatre and, and lots of people selling edible plants as well. 
There's still time to buy tickets through the RHS website. And if you're looking for an unusual gift, why not give an RHS show ticket voucher so family and friends can enjoy a wonderful day at one of our world-famous shows? Here they will find dazzling gardens, stunning floral displays, top advice from RHS experts and much more. Again, you can find details on our website. Every month on the RHS Gardening Podcast, members of the RHS Garden Advice Team join us to answer the gardening questions they receive by phone, letter and email and via Twitter and Facebook. So let's join my colleagues now to hear advice on some of the queries they've received recently. Hello, my name is Lee Hunt. I'm the Principal Horticultural Advisor here at RHS Garden Wisley. And I'm Guy Barter. I work on the Horticultural Advice Team here at Wisley. Uh, Mrs Barclay of Windsor. Uh, says her daughter-in-law is moving into a new house that has a pergola in the garden and uh, can the team suggest any plants to grow over it please? I think the first thing is not to put too many in because uh, it doesn't say how big the pergola is and it, it can mean quite a number of different things it can mean a very long structure with posts coming up on either side of the path and you've got struts across the top and that can go on for, for 30 metres or more in some gardens but I'm assuming it's more modest so we go for something like a metre long um, I think really just even a couple of clematis in a rose would be sufficient to give really good colour and what I tend to do is try and choose things that stretch the season out so I'm going to suggest something like a clematis macropetala so that's uh, going to flower in about April time. Wonderful little blue, almost crystalline um, flowers where they, they shimmer and they uh, will keep uh, sort of looking really good for weeks because not only do they flower, have the blue flowers, but you get the seed heads. Then I put in a rose, something like Climbing Gertrude Jekyll, which has amazing um, sort of magenta pink, very double flowers at this time of year in June. And they have an amazing sort of hand cream scent, so that traditional scent that's often used to put in hand cream. Later on, I go for a Viticella clematis, so something like the um, Purpurea Cleaner Elegans, which has dusty um, plum-coloured flowers, profusion of them. And that one you cut down entirely in winter and pull it out so it doesn't become too much of a bird's nest. So that should give you colour from April to September. Uh, well, I think I'd be tempted to try a few jasmines, not the winter flowering jasmine, Eudiflorum, uh, but perhaps uh, any of the, the others. A good garden centre will have a selection, things like Officinale and Mesnii, and they're ranging colours from white to yellow, and there's even one or two uh, slightly uh, reddish selections. They'll provide colour and interest and scent from summer right through into the autumn, and Fairly easy to maintain a light clipping over rather than any uh, elaborate pruning or training. Another option would be the potato vine, Solanum. Um, there's two of them, Laxum is the white and uh, Solanum crismum is the, the purple and particularly the selection known as glass neving. And again, a case just of tying them in and if there's a wayward growth they can be just pruned back a little bit after flowering. So relatively straightforward, no need for any complicated pruning. Often at the um, RHS advisory service, we're asked about evergreens for pergolas. And I always advise against it because in winter, they're so wet and dank and drippy. But if people really want to give it a go, um, then consider Clematis armandii and a Trachyla spermum, the star jasmine. Uh, they're both lovely plants in their own right. And um, perhaps you've other places to be in your garden in the winter and they can drip to their heart's content. Richard Wilkins has emailed in. 
and uh, says that he'd like to create a blue border in his garden. And uh, can then we suggest some interesting plants to give seasonal interest and in both shape and colour? Well, blue's a tricky old colour. So, Tony, what do you think? Well, I'm not sure here if Richard wants just herbaceous plants or a few shrubs. There's not many blue flowering shrubs, but of course the, the classic are the ceanothus, and they range everything from repens, which is very low growing, to selections of arboreous, which, as the name implies, are tree-like. And certainly they would provide a useful background, not necessarily in flower for long periods of time, but a useful background to a blue border. And then I'd be adding a whole range of things, such as agapanthus for mid-blue colours, ceratostigma, a very bright, vivid blue. And then there's things like anchusa, lodens royalist, again, very deep blue and those would all provide interest throughout the the season from uh, spring perhaps putting a few camassias early on bulbs which uh, will grow in even very poor clay soils and so on but again very good vivid color early on in the season i would add to that as well because they're, they're all really good things and you've already stolen my own choose of lot and royalist so i certainly go with that one but what I would also do is just get some self-sown forget-me-nots because they start the season off really early. And although not quite blue, I think I'd add some blue parrot tulips just to add a, a little pocket of colour for early on. When those are finished, I'd then be looking to replace them with salvia patens. Now, this is something that you would... Um, buy or grow in a, in a greenhouse because it needs that bit of heat to bring it on and then it has sort of almost c-shaped flowers but they are proper brilliant blue and you can get the sort of oxford blue version or literally the one called cambridge blue which is um, a cultivar and that's the the paler blue as well so both of those are, are really nice um so that will give you the progression from spring to summer i like things like grasses so the panicum heavy metal which has typical upright grassy strap-like leaves and then wafting uh, little seed heads later on and because blue is a difficult thing in a shrub for autumn I'm going to suggest a clerodendron trichotomum which is both magenta and blue but it has the the combinations so it just keeps that season going and they're rather unusual sort of starry flowers and the one side is the magenta and then they open out and you get the blue as well. One of the things we're often asked about uh, here at Wisley for the RHS Members Advice Service is blue roses. And uh, sadly, as yet, um, blue roses are unknown. Uh, so although things like blue moon are often sold uh, as um, blue, they're really a kind of lavendery pink sort of thing. But they're still very pretty. Um, so um, although you can't have a blue rose, you can still have some very nice bluish ones. Right, we have a letter here from Bo Jenkins from Stroud. Um, it's about a sunflower in a can. My daughter was given and has started growing one of these as a stocking filler. She's convinced that we need to move it to a bigger pot. The instructions are unclear. Can we keep it in the original can or should we transfer it? Now, Guy, I know you're a great sunflower enthusiast. Well, it all depends on the size of the can and the size of the sunflower. But I would guess that if it's a stocking filler, it's probably a pretty small can. And therefore, I'm pretty sure um, it'll need moving to a bigger pot. And the secret is to move things to bigger pots in stages. Don't put the, the poor little plant in a great big pot because it'll languish. Move it up to one that's a couple of inches wider each time until you reach perhaps a pot 45 centimetres or 18 inches wide. And then that should be possible to take it on to maturity then. Uh, fill it with any good uh, 
growing um, growing media, that's potting compost. So any good multi-purpose potting compost should be fine. Some flowers aren't fussy things, but although they're drought resistant, um, they do need to be carefully watered and must never be allowed to be soggy nor dry out. And um, I expect your daughter harbours some um, dreams of a nice, big, impressive sunflower, so a little fertiliser wouldn't come amiss, um, perhaps once a, once a week or once a fortnight. Any good general purpose fertiliser um, should help keep the plant healthy and growing well. So, with the, so good luck. Uh, Julie Trechikoff from Brighton has uh, emailed in. She says, my father has an established pineapple plant in his garden. He is now unwell, so I'm taking over the gardening duties. I think the plants need pruning, but I'm cautious as I know pi- pineapple plants can be very sensitive. What tips do you have? Well, I guess here we're talking about the Moroccan broom, um, which is a, a gorgeous yellow flowering shrub, wonderful pineapple scent, which I'm sure will lift Julie's father's uh, spirits. Um, used to be known as Cytisus botanderi. Now the botanists uh, call it Argyrocystis botanderi. Moroccan, bro- Moroccan broom is probably uh, easier to get our tongues round. Uh, generally, it's something that needs very little pruning, yeah, you'd normally tie it into a, a wall or a fence, sunny position, perhaps just pruning out some of the older wood and some of the occasionally suffer a little bit of winter damage. But essentially, very important not to cut it back too hard in one go. So really a little bit of selective pruning rather than anything too uh, drastic. I did also wonder, because obviously we're not necessarily quite sure which plant it is, if it hasn't got silver leaves and yellow flowers, as Tony's describing, um, they might be referring to almost the shape of the foliage being like on the top of a pineapple. And that could mean that it's um, a cordyline and that has uh, literally a, a mound of strap-like leaves and might have not seen any flowers at all. Now, if it's that, it, it's entirely different sort of growing. It tends to grow up eventually on a, a, a tall stem with the, the mound of foliage at the top. If that starts to happen, you can cut the top off and it will sprout from the sides. But if it's just low in the ground already with just a mound of foliage, there's not really much value in cutting it back because that's sort of what it does naturally. So just pull away the dead stuff at the bottom. Also known as Torbay Palm. Also known as a Torbay Palm. This is where common names get very confusing. uh, uh, And even though it's not a, a palm by any means. Right, we have an inquiry here from Cliff Miller from London. I've read that the UK Space Agency has launched Rocket Science, an educational project sending salad seeds to space and back with the RHS campaign for school gardening. I was wondering, does space travel affect the growth of seeds? Well, Guy, space. Well, it's um, very interesting. This um, When seeds go off-world, um, they're going to be subjected to radiation, which is normally filtered out by the atmosphere around the planet and uh, radiation can cause genetic damage uh, to living things including seeds and um, in this particular case the seeds are going to well we hope the seeds are going to spend a period in space due to the difficulties of space travel it, um, nothing can be guaranteed but we're hoping they're going up to the international space station and hang around in space and see what happens then brought back and sown and grown in schools around the country and uh, this is to look and see if there's any uh, mutations that might turn up. Uh, they might be variegated seeds. They might be distorted ones with different leaf shapes. They may fail to grow at all. 
I mean, this is, has some practical significance because if um, astronauts are going to make journeys to places, you know, Mars perhaps in the first instance, it's going to be maybe a five-year round trip. Um, they'll want to grow some food. You can't live on um, on canned food the whole time. You, as everyone knows, you need fresh food. And uh, salads are one of the things that are considered to help keep the astronauts healthy as they make their long journey to Mars and back. So um, if the seeds are damaged by by um, exposure to solar to space radiation, then uh, clearly um, the space authorities are going to have to find ways of protecting the seeds and inducing them to grow in a, a normal sort of way. So um, it's rather an exciting opportunity for young people to be involved in one aspect of space travel. As part of this uh, of this initiative. Uh, the European Space Agency also drew up a list of plants that they'd like to grow in space. I mean, it included things like wheat and potatoes and rice. Um, it'd be an interesting problem to grow paddy rice in space because it has to grow in water, of course, and presumably the water would float about in weightless conditions. And uh, that would be very would be very interesting to see. I'm looking forward to that. Um, the other thing is that plants are designed to uh, grow in response to gravity so that uh, without gravity they get lost they don't quite what they're doing um, and the roots don't go down they come up and the, the plants can wave around and they don't know quite um, where they are so um, that too is a, a, an aspect that has been studied and it surprisingly it is possible to grow plants in space but um, it's not always uh, quite as you would expect. John Smith um, from Froome Somerset um, lives in the rented property and the landlord clearly a rather inconsiderate fellow has put in a russian vine um the year before uh, mr smith moved in and in 18 months as anyone who knows about russian vines will guess the vine is now rampaging out of control and the landlord is threatening that um he'll withhold the deposit if he doesn't keep the garden under control but mr smith um, has cut back the Russian vine, and um, all that happens is it grows even faster. And uh, he would very much like some advice on what to do here. I think, as I recall, uh, a plant called uh, Marla Minute plant, uh, and uh, not without good cause, probably reaching 40 feet or more. Um, it's definitely the wrong plant in the wrong place. But, um, yeah, the only solution here is either you remove it, which I'm not sure if the landlord is greatly... Uh, attached to his Russian vine, um, or, yes, a constant programme of constantly cutting back, um, a useful source of material for council green reprocessing um, bins. But beyond that, um, yeah, not perhaps the best plant. This is the sort of plant that we often advise when they've got an eyesore that needs covering. And it's because it will grow very, very quickly. And it will produce um, smallish uh, matte green leaves and little white flowers, none of which is particularly sort of attractive it's not going to stand up there with a rose and clematis and say yes this is something i should be growing for the flowers um, but it is something that is grown for that purpose of let's try and cover it up so it does seem like the wrong plant for the wrong place the rhs advice team as an rhs member you can get free advice on any gardening problem from the team by phone post or email or in person at any of the rhs flower shows Members also get free entry to all four RHS gardens, the opportunity to buy discounted and priority tickets to RHS events and flower shows, and much more, including, of course, an extra gardening podcast every month, available on the RHS website.
If you're not already a member, why not find out more about its benefits? Just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. So that's all we have time for in this June edition. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Tony Dickerson and all the RHS Gardening Podcast team, goodbye.